So this evening, we continue our journey through Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And if you recall, Pastor Nathan got us started two weeks ago in chapter 3, and so tonight we'll cover the remainder of it. What we see in this chapter is that it's all about the ministry of Christ and its spiritual and glorious character. In fact, glory is a key theme for our text tonight. Paul uses various forms of the word glory 13 times in just these 11 verses. And he uses an argument from the lesser to the greater to highlight the greater glory of the ministry of the new covenant over the ministry of the old covenant. The Lord, through Paul, wants us to understand what this new covenant ministry means for all believers in Christ. He also points out the reality of those still veiled in unbelief and who it is that can remove that veil. What we learn here is that we are all blinded in spiritual darkness and our hearts are hardened until that veil of unbelief is removed. We cannot save ourselves. Now, we also gain in this text an important insight into the nature of our sanctification, our being set apart for the Lord's holy purpose and transformation into Christ's likeness. So, from the glory of the old covenant ministry to the glory of the new covenant ministry, from one degree of glorious transformation to another, from glory to glory. Let us hear now the inspired and errant word of the living God as revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation... The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Please pray with me. Our most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for another opportunity to hear from you this evening. We rejoice in the glory of the ministry of the new covenant and the promise of our transformation to become more like your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us, guide us into greater understanding of these truths. Speak to us through your word and illuminate our hearts and minds with your spirit. Sanctify us with the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have you discovered what it is that you are chasing in this life? All of us are chasing something, some dream, some vision of glory. It's what gets us out of bed every morning. 
It's the fuel that fires us, that, to make us do what we do day in and day out. Well, with football season underway, it's easier for me to think back to my high school days uh, when I was chasing the glory of that end zone catch in the back of the end zone with no time left on the clock to win the game. Well, that was the ultimate dream for years for me. And believe it or not, it still visits me from time to time. What is your ultimate dream, your ultimate hope? What are you chasing? Well, dear friends, the main point of our text this evening is that our ultimate hope is the glory of our transformation into Christ-likeness. Our ultimate hope is the glory of our transformation into Christ-likeness. That's the big idea. That's the key takeaway this evening. And so I want to explore, and I want to explore that and present to you three points. First, why the glory of the new covenant ministry far surpasses the glory of the old covenant ministry. Second, the veil remains for non-believers. And third, the triune God transforms us from glory to glory. So let's jump into the first point. Why the glory of the new covenant ministry far surpasses the glory of the old covenant ministry. We see this in verses 7 through 11. Paul here is bringing out the sharp contrast between the ministry written on stones and the ministry written on hearts, something he began talking about back in verse 3. But why does he call the Old Covenant the ministry of death and then the ministry of condemnation? Well, the Old Testament administration of law was associated with death because of the penalties for violating the law and because it brought condemnation. Remember, at the giving of the law, anyone who crossed the boundaries of Mount Sinai died. And the punishment was death for a wide variety of sins. Also, the commandments brought condemnation because Israel remained a hard-hearted people under the Old Covenant. Ultimately, the commandments themselves could not give the people the power to obey them. Praise the Lord that this Old Covenant system was brought to an end. I wonder, when's the last time that you thought about this? Can you imagine living under the Old Covenant system? It was not only rigorous and condemning, but it was bloody. Looking back now as New Covenant believers, we can see that the Old Covenant was only temporary and was meant to be replaced by a much greater one. Moses' ministry was always meant to be only provisional, whereas the New Covenant ministry serves as the culmination of God's plan for his people, and therefore it will not end. So Paul wants the Corinthians and us to understand that the New Covenant ministry brings righteousness rather than condemnation. It brings us into right standing for our holy, triune God and is therefore far more glorious. It also brings us into the glorious presence of God's power, which transforms believers from one degree of glory to another. So, from glory to glory, this is our ultimate hope, dear friends. But why should this matter to us now? Why should we care? Because you and I have been given a glorious ministry, and it's far more glorious than the ministry of Moses. This ought to make a difference in our lives and what we ultimately pursue. We're on mission to the world with a ministry of life. From letters on stone to letters on hearts, from temporary to permanence, from condemnation to righteousness. And who is it? Who is it that is the minister and brings this ministry of the Spirit? Well, it is Jesus Christ. He is the minister of righteousness, which is a permanent righteousness given to us in exchange for our sins. And this is Christ fulfilling his office of priest on our behalf. This is why the glory of the New Covenant ministry far surpasses the glory of the Old Covenant ministry. Which leads me to my second point. The veil remains for non-believers. 
the veil remains for non-believers. We see this in verse 12 through 16. Look there again with me. The point here is that the Jews and all non-believers cannot see Christ for the veil remains for them. But those who trust in Christ can see and become bold because of the hope of the new covenant. Now, when looking at this, the key to this part of the text is the understanding that the veil mentioned here is a barrier standing between the people and the display of God's presence. This actually helps us understand why Paul says, we are very bold, not like Moses. Now, upon first reading, it might appear that Paul is saying that Moses was not bold, almost as a a critique of Moses. But that's not the case. Because Moses veiled his face because the people's hearts were still hardened, and because the glory on Moses' face would eventually fade. Now, as you recall, his face would shine because he had been in the presence of the Lord. Yet it was a glory that was suppressed by the veil and limited to Moses himself. So this veiling of his face cut off God's presence from the people's experience. Now, in bold contrast, under the new covenant, the veil has been taken away by Christ, and there is free and open access to the presence of the Lord through the ministry of the indwelling Spirit. So, unlike the restricted reach of the glory of God on Moses' face, the new covenant glory overflows to and through every believer. Now, friends, this reality has a direct impact on our confidence in evangelism. And we actually see this in the original language of verse 13. Look at it. The ESV renders it, we are very bold. And this is accurate, but it could more literally read, we use much boldness in speech. In speech. The new covenant ministry gives us confidence because of what Christ has done and secured for us. We have acceptance and affirmation from him. As Rico said last week, this frees us from needing affirmation from the people that we share the gospel with. We don't need to worry about how they respond. As one commentator put it, our communication is no longer veiled, but it is freely empowered by the Spirit. So this should give you and I much hope and confidence in our evangelism efforts. Because you know what? Just as Moses faced hard hearts when talking, we're going to face hard hearts. We should expect hard hearts when talking to others about the gospel. It is only through Christ that spiritual blindness can be lifted. So it's not something that we can do for others. But God has ordained us to be his ambassadors, to be his instruments of reconciliation. And we need to remember that what Paul is saying here applies to all non-believers, not just the Jews. It's impossible for any non-believer to understand God's word apart from the Spirit. Now we should also see from this text the parallel significance of the curtain of the temple being torn from top to bottom at the moment of Christ's death on the cross. It's a staggering scene to picture. The curtain being torn in two stands as one of the most powerful signs of the new covenant gospel, that we now have full and open access to God through Christ. Not only have we been given new spiritual eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, but we can now go directly to God and be reconciled to him as our Father in heaven. You know, it struck me this week when reading over this text that Paul's words in verse 14 remain true to to this day about the Jews. And it's sad. The veil still remains for them. And as we said, it remains for all non-believers. No one can understand the Old Testament ministry of the law unless we understand it according to the final revelation of Christ. It is Christ as he fulfills the office of prophet who takes away the veil of spiritual darkness. For as Calvin said, let us learn that without Christ, the son of righteousness, there is no light even to the law, or in the whole word of God. 
For Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. He is the light of the world. Let us rejoice in this stunning reality, dear saints. If you are sitting here today, resting in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the veil has been removed from your eyes. You can see with new spiritual eyes. But sadly, the veil, of remain, the veil remains for non-believers. And this should provoke us to a greater sense of urgency and diligence in holding forth the word of life as we shine as lights in the world. Which leads us to our third and final point. The triune God transforms us from glory to glory. The triune God transforms us from glory to glory. Look back again at verse 17 and 18. The Lord Jesus, in and through the Holy Spirit, is transforming us to become more like him from one degree of glory to another. This is our sanctification, and it's very much a triune operation. The Father draws us, the Son cleanses us, and the Holy Spirit renews and transforms us. Brothers and sisters, could there be any greater glory to chase after than the glory of becoming ever more like Christ? He's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the eternal Word of God who holds all of the creation in the palm of His hand. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the King of Glory. Nothing in all of eternity, past, present, or future, is more glorious than this King of Glory, our Lord and Savior, our Prophet, our Priest, our King, Jesus Christ. And we get to become more and more like Him. Let this overwhelming truth refresh your hearts and fire your souls. Don't leave here tonight without this truth. Now, the language that Paul uses here, he says it twice. The Lord is the Spirit. It's interesting. It's at the beginning in 17 at the end of 18. It could raise questions. What does he mean by this phrase? There are a couple things going on here with this phrase. First, to be sure... Paul is not teaching that any of the members of the Trinity are the same person, for that would be the heresy of modalism. Rather, Paul is stressing the gracious unity of purpose and intimacy among the three persons of the Trinity. There is unity of the Trinity, and their inseparable work together. They are one and yet have distinction. Now, the second thing that could be going on here is that Paul could be ascribing the meaning of Lord in the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit. In that case, Paul is saying that it was the Holy Spirit who visited Moses on Mount Sinai. Paul's primary point, regardless of which is actually intended, seems to be that the Christian's experience of the ministry of the Spirit under the New Covenant is parallel to Moses' experience of the Lord under the Old Covenant. Now, what about this use of the word freedom? Though he doesn't specify, he's likely referring to the many kinds of freedom that come with the salvation in Christ and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, such as freedom from condemnation, from guilt, from sin, from death, from the old covenant, from blindness to the gospel, and freedom that gives open access to the loving presence of God. This all comes about as a result of Christ fulfilling the, his office as king. His kingly reign frees us from the enslavement of sin and the death and, and death and conquers our enemies. Now, verse 18 is packed with rich meaning. I mean, we could camp out on it all week, and I wish we could. This is the essence. What Paul's getting out here at 18 is the essence of our sanctification, and it's glorious. 
We all here is referring to all Christians, members of the new covenant. And when he says unveiled face, he's talking about those who have been given new spiritual eyes. But the main point here, friends, is that as a result of beholding the glory of the Lord through the ministry of the Spirit, the believer is being transformed into the same image of God that was distorted at the fall. And this same image is not the same image as, uh, as one another, as you and I, but rather a transformation into the image of the glory of God that we are observing. You know, but there's another sense of the original word used here for beholding, which is just as important to Paul's message, and that is to reflect. We also reflect the glory of God. Here is another powerful application to evangelism. When we behold the glory of God, we at the same time reflect it to others. Our witness is in direct proportion to our beholding the Lord. It will grow in authenticity and intensity the more we behold this king of glory. Our faces will shine when we've been in the presence, his glorious presence. Now when Paul says, from one degree of glory to another, he's speaking directly to the nature of our sanctification. It's a process. It takes time. But what a beautiful truth on full display here. Our sanctification comes about as a means of beholding the glory of the Lord. And how do we do that? By gazing upon Christ. This is how Moses was sanctified and transformed. He shined because he spent time with the Lord. And this holds true for us today. We shine when we spend time with the Lord. This occurs primarily through time spent in his word, in prayer, in worship and fellowship with other believers, through the sacraments, through all the ordinary means of grace. In short, beholding the glory of the Lord makes one glorious. It's transformation by observation. As Hebrews 1.3 tells us, Christ himself radiates the glory of God and is the exact imprint of his nature. So Paul proclaims that new covenant believers here, or new covenant believers have an ongoing, unlimited, face-to-face relationship with God. They constantly gaze at the Lord's glory by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This results in being transformed into the same image. As God shares his glory with us as his creatures, he enables us to live as fully human image bearers of the living God. From glory to glory into the likeness of Christ. Let us behold and cling to this truth. He is the image into which we're being transformed. And that's where we're headed. Though it's a slow, slow progression. And if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know, you know how painfully slow this process of sanctification can often feel. And this is where Satan can get us if we're not laser-focused on beholding the king of glory. He will throw counterfeit glories in our path and try to convince us that this is the glory that you really want. In particular, I think we need to be on guard against the shiny counterfeit of celebrity that many flock to today. We should never settle for something that will ultimately fade over the lasting new covenant transformation by the Spirit of God. And finally, Paul closes his thought in this last line of verse 18 with the reality that this is all a work of the Lord. He is the author of our salvation and the perfecter of our faith. Our sanctification is a work of the Spirit through the Word, the eternal living Word, the Lord Jesus. Before closing, let's briefly recap where we've been. 
First, the new covenant ministry is more glorious than the old covenant ministry because each of us has been given this ministry of life to the world and have full and open access to the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. Second, the veil remains for non-believers apart from the revealing work of Christ through the Holy Spirit and should provoke us to a more urgent evangelism to the veiled. And third, the triune God is transforming us into Christ's likeness from one degree of glory to another, which should also empower us to, in our outreach to the lost and give us ultimate and lasting hope. Let me close by saying that if you're here today and haven't experienced this greater glory of the new covenant ministry in your own life, I have an invitation for you, and I want you to listen carefully. If you haven't yet trusted in Christ, this King of glory, don't waste another day. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ. Stop chasing the false glories of this fading world that only lead to darkness and ultimate destruction. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ who died to give you his righteousness and a restored relationship with your creator. But if you're here today and you're trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior, be encouraged, be invigorated, rejoice, for our ultimate hope is the glory of our transformation into Christ's likeness. There is no greater glory to chase. Hold fast to this wondrous promise, dear saints, as we will all one day be glorified as he is glorified. Let us pray.